Good evening, podcast land. I'm Jason, a.k.a. Captain Novice, here with my man, Bo. It's the Parked and Turn One podcast. We know you've been waiting on it. Wednesday night, so we got to record it. Bo, how are we doing tonight? Not too bad, man. I am ready to jump into this recap of Jerez. What about you? How are you this evening? Yeah, I, I am I am good, man. I We had, all in all, this weekend was really good. In Moto3, we had a really good race right down to the last corner That with a move from Izan Guevara around the outside, which was amazing. He took a big risk, but it was amazing um, to win the race. Sergio Garcia finishes second, and Jama Masia bumped Dennis Anju out of the way to get uh, third. So watching that race, Bo, what did you see? What did you think? What was your takeaway? This gas cast team is serious. Um, you know, that that's really the, the big takeaway. And, you know, Izan Corvera, this uh, this is his first win that was kind of not the, you know, I guess not controversial win, I guess say, right? Because um, he did get the win at Coda under the red flag conditions, um, you know, after his shock had just broken. But, you know, he ran a really, a really great race. Um, Gemma Masia actually ran a very mature race, I thought, for the most part. And then Dennis Onchu, he, he stayed in tow as well. And Dennis Onchu, um, to me, around the uh, the Jorge Martinez Aspar corner, I think it was, turn eight, turn nine, somewhere around that, a real long left-hander, he was amazing yep. all race long in that turn. But no, like you said, uh, last lap battle. Uh, I mean, that's what we live for. You know, that's what we want to see in racing. All these guys so close, and and uh, it was it was close. It was hard racing, but it was fair. Uh, you know, even it was the fair racing. Low. You're right. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so I, I, as you guys, I've mentioned before, I listened to another podcast, and and I get a little frustrated with those guys because some of them are actually announcers during the weekends. And they complain about a lot of the things that I don't think they should complain about because they have a great job. But one of them said, you know, I don't like Moto3 that much because you can watch the first lap, go get a coffee, come back, watch the last lap, and then that's all that matters. Well, you can do that with every race, <laughs> every every category, every, every paddock. But I love the in-race battles of the Moto3 guys. I... I find it less entertaining when someone's five seconds out front. Right. I mean, right. how do you feel about it? No, I agree. You know, and and honestly, during all these race battles, you know, this the the long the long game, you will, you know, um, all the way out throughout these races, is you really do start to see how someone manages a tire. Um, it, oh yeah. You know, I mean, Ayuma Sasaki, Ayuma Sasaki, I think he he came he started the back of the grid and and also he had did. a long lap penalty, right? Yep. Um. And he, he, he finished six, six, so that's an outstanding race. Yeah, it, it, to me, that was the race of the day, honestly, because you know I watched it, and <clears throat> this this race from him really showed um, kind of a self awareness, I think, you know, because he got up to the right of the end, the backpack of that 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 top six, and he did he take could the lead have, once, right? But and he could have fought for that too, you know what I mean? He could have lost his yeah. judgment about himself to say, okay, you know, I want to win. I'm up here. I've come this far. Right. But he knew the tire was going to go off. You know, it's really hot in Jerez. It's, it's he knew the tire was going to get get roasted, especially the since he had to push so hard throughout the entire race. And then he sat still and he took home the points. To me, that's yeah. pretty mature. Um, and whether or not that's actually what went through his head, you know, I'm not sure. We're not good buds, you know, so we didn't talk about it after the race. But you're not um, it, right. Yeah. 
So if I were to speculate, though, you know, I figured that's what is going through his head. It's a long championship. <clears throat> He's had some bad luck. He needs a really good, uh, really good result to kind of start building confidence. And, and I think that a sixth place coming from last on the grid is a 100% acceptable um, position for him. Another thing, though, is that, you know, we've talked about, and this is a race as a whole, is look who's in the top. You know, all the way, we have to go back to the to the twelfth position to find a Honda, and I think that yeah. you had talked about that you know a week or two ago. Yep. We started talking about the differences in the Honda and the KTM, and we really, really saw that this difference. I think this weekend, I think Ricardo Rossi was actually the highest placed uh, Honda for the longest time, and then it crashed. But what did you well, see? What yeah, do you, Mino what do you and Fagia just didn't have it. And Honda, you're right. Honda is. The last two races have been struggles for Honda, in my opinion. Um, I don't know what's going on. I, 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 I don't know if it's because they have chosen poorly on the gearing in a row, or because maybe uh, the we talked about it, the development of the KTM motors gotten better. Mm-hmm. I just don't know. Um, but what I do know is that KTM is giving them what for right now. And, you know, Fagia finished 18th in the race. Yeah. And he, and he, I watched him shaking his head during the race. Like that bike was just terrible. He could not turn it. He could not lean it. He couldn't get it to go fast in a straight line. He was struggling. I mean, I, I watched him on two or three times they showed him and he was coming through turn one. He was just shaking his head like this is garbage. So who knows what's going on with it? I, I have I have quit trying to do it, but I I think I think the you said it best is that the gas gas team is serious about it this year. Their riders are riding tremendously. Their uh, their bike looks great um, in terms of the performance of it, and they are right there with the KTM bikes in terms of the quality of the setup. And you know you've got Masia carrying that flag. For you know the Akiyo team and Dennis Anchu for the Tech Three Tech Trois team Tech Three, um, but they the, the two Red Bull two riders from each team a rider from each team are, are carrying that flag, but they, they look great. Um, and we know that Gas Gas is a KTM. Uh, we know that Husqvarna is a KTM. So you had all all six, I believe. That the CF Moto Racing is also KTM. Chavi IT Gas. That's yes. right. Yep. Yeah. So you had, they say CF Moto, um, but I believe it's based on a it's yeah it's, it's Chinese a partnership yeah Moto. it's a partnership with yeah, KTM. It's, partnership it's rebranded with, KTM yeah right so but just like the Husqvarna and right. the Gas yep. Gas but so you sit, the top six places no I take that back the top eleven wow yeah Scott Ogden was the, the top, uh, top performing yeah. Honda. The top 11 bikes are KTM or rebranded KTMs. That tells you something. Um, Honda needs to figure it yeah. out. But um, Fagia's got to figure it out too. I'm afraid Fagia might go into the head case space again uh, because he's struggling a little bit here. But we'll see. It's a long season. We still have 15 races to go. I believe we've had seven. And... Um, but right now you're right. Gas gas looks great. KTM looks really strong and they are leading the field and somebody's going to have to really ride a great race to beat these guys. And let's see who is, see if anybody steps up to the plate. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, 
yeah, just have to echo all that. I'm not really sure if Foggia, you know, is is really to the point where he's going to go into that head case, um, the state again, and kind of start to implode a little bit. I do think that they've got to get get the bike figured out in Europe. Uh, we'll see whenever we go to uh, France in Le Mans and see how it performs. But um, you know, even with Foggia not having a good bike underneath of him this weekend, he didn't throw it to the scenery, unlike nope. his. Uh, unlike his counterpart and in, in stablemate Tatsuki, Tatsuki Suzuki, um, well, are you shocked? I'm not. You know, I. You can't be. No, 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 and you know, I think the comments were made even by you know some of the team at Leopard was they you know they're really not pleased with where he's at right now. They're hoping that it will get better. Um, it, of course, it, it started to look a little bit better throughout the weekend, but then you know, come race day. It's a dumpster fire again for Tatsu. So I don't know if we need to start thinking about World Superbike um, or, or possibly, you know, just come to Moto America. Who knows? It, you know, I mean, we're just spitballing wow. here. But yeah, um, Oh, man. And for the championship, though, that means a lot because Sergio Garcia right now is leading the championship over uh, the number two guy, which is Dennis Foggia, by 21 points. And he's riding like he wants to win a world championship. And he's going to earn a world championship riding this way. Um, you know, Izan Guevara made up a ton of points there on Fagia. He's at 73, so he's 30 behind his teammate. Jamal Macias is 33 points behind Garcia in fourth. And Dennis Anchu is 40 points behind him in fifth. Do you remember when the top five were separated by like 10 points? <laughs> it was yeah. so close. But, you know, Sergio Garcia really is riding aggressively but sensibly. Uh, and putting in those points-winning races week in and week out, man, you—it's hard to find fault with him right now. No, completely agree. You know, and and he's he's he manages the race very well. You know, he comes on strong towards the end, but he's not quite as or he's he's much more explosive at the end um, than Dennis Poggi is. And I think that Sergio Garcia—he leaves a little bit more in the tank too. At the end, you know, he just got that. He's got an extra bit to go even faster and kind of elevate. We saw it in Portugal. You know, it looked really good, looked great in Portugal, um, and then you know, almost had enough for Dennis on Chu. Just a little bit. I think that there was that move was, you know, a bit. Uh, I don't say it was difficult. It was definitely a hard move because on Chu was trying to stay as much as he could to the left, and then on Chu, I think just kind of managed that last turn a little bit, a little bit incorrectly. Um, you know, I think he was a little bit amped up possibly leading the race and yeah. then he might have had a yeah. win in his back pocket you know or his first win first podium so and then he's on Guevara though just around the outside with uh you know that big ballsy move and, and made it stick so yeah um, that what a move I mean you yeah gotta, you can't you, take it every one of those hat. guys in the top four though I mean they ran a, a really really great race though yep well you know I think I think it was a great race and I enjoyed it start to finish regardless of what some of these jaded journalists talk about um but let's go on to Moto2, and you called it. Ayagura wins the race. Aaron Kinnett finished second in a heroic ride. Tony Arbolino finishes third. You called it, Bo. There's the win for Ayagura. He had been sticking around the top five all year and finally got that elusive first win. Yeah, I mean, I, I was really happy to see that. And to be honest with you, my kind of my... My uh, 
hierarchy of of you know fandom kind of goes in the house is if there's not an American in contention, then my next you know the next one in line is I cheer for Ayagura. You know, it's kind of the kind of the way that I operate here for some reason. Um, so I was I was pretty excited, you know, whenever I uh, got out front, stayed out front, and just commanded this race the entire way. Um, and then towards the end, I, I personally was nervous about Arbolino and even Kanet. Uh, towards the end of the race, but then when I saw both of those two guys start to fade, and then Agura just start to open that gap up really gradually, um, you, you just kind of knew it was his to to lose at that point. But um, you know, really, really great ride from Ayagura. We we and I, you and I have talked about this already all season. Um, we kind of knew this was going to happen eventually, right? And he just looked too good and too consistent and just too strong for this to not happen eventually. You know, for him to come out with a with a win, so. We'll see if this turns into more, um, but like you said, Aaron Kinnett, um, just a phenomenal, phenomenal ride. Great attitude from Aaron Kinnett as well, um, just to kind of grit his teeth through this and to bear everything and you know know that it's a long championship. And uh, my, my, I, I think that he still gets the ride of the day personally um, over top of Iagura just because of the. I, the, I honestly you know, what he don't know how from. he did that. Like. Yeah. The broken radius, broken finger on the left hand. Uh, <laughs> we don't ride with muscle cramps, you know. I mean, let alone we, I don't. I don't yeah. ride if it's chilly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or too hot. Like I, I you've got a very narrow operating window. <laughs> right, right. Like I. I, when they told when they told me the extent, when I read the extent of his injuries and then saw that he was going to go out there, I was like, ah, eh, you know, he'll give it a shot. He's just trying to get some points. And then from the first practice, that guy was on it, and I was like, I don't know what this guy's doing, but he's on fire. And it was amazing to see. It just shows you how tough these guys are. Some I, some of them are so flipping tough. Maybe too tough for their own good, but they're so tough. And that's a good point too that you make. You know, you started talking about him going out and practice. I think we forget sometimes, and people that don't really watch the entire weekend all the way through. You know, we we understand that there are people out there that all they're going to do is watch the race on Sunday, and there's nothing wrong with that. You you know, that's completely fine if you if you see the race and then you you know you laud praise on the people that that win and then get on the podium or whatever, and you get upset with the people that don't finish. But to really understand, you know, you look at Kanet's race and Kanet's injury, and then you peel back like, okay, this guy did 23 laps on Sunday afternoon with a broken uh, wrist, but he also Seven did. Days. But he also did how many laps on Saturday, and how yeah. many laps on Friday, and qualified. Yeah, yeah, and and qualify whenever you're pushing you're pushing the bike harder than you did, you know, even on Sunday essentially. So uh, that just kind of magnifies what he did, you know, and kind of brings that out that to the surfaces. Sometimes that, you know, folks, more casual fans will forget that these guys put in work all weekend long and even longer, you know, because he's training as Absolutely. well. I'm sure he's he was immediately back in the gym, you know, went back to the doctor probably to have everything checked out, make sure all the pins and needles were where they needed to have been. But, um, but no, great ride from Aaron Kinnett and great ride from Tony, Tony yeah. Arbolino as well. Absolutely, I, I I was blown away by what Kanet was able to do. Um, he, the the on his interview, I mean, you could tell he was he had been through the ringer. Yeah, um, he was just ready to go sit down in an ice bath somewhere. Um, 
add on to that, it was pretty hot, so it would have been tough on you if you didn't have a broken arm. Um, but what a ride. What a good job. Tony Arbolino, he is proving that he is now there to stay at the front of this group, of this Moto2 class. He's going to be fighting for podiums and wins and top fives from here on out, in my opinion, every weekend. Yeah, what do you I think, think so. Yeah, he figured the bike out, and he he's, I mean, he, honestly, he looks like he's out having fun. You know, he, he was really, really energetic towards his, um, at his post-race interview, um, just ran a great race, ran a really nice, clean race. I always kind of felt that Tony Arbolino was kind of a wild card in Moto3, seemed a little bit erratic sometimes. Um, you could never really predict what he was going to do, but um, honestly, with, with Moto2, I feel like he's a cleaner rider now, and he's much more calculated on the bike. Um, and well, age just, is a great maturer, right? That's like true mature, too. Well, for yeah. some of us, I mean. Well, I'm still nine, right? But it's fine. That's quite <laughs> right, but but we still love you. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. But I, I I agree with you about his. I, I he was sometimes overly aggressive and ragged in Moto Three, but I think you could say that just about ever about every Moto Three rider. Yeah. So. 100%. He he really has come along. Augusto Fernandez in fourth. Honestly, that's not a terrible race, but I I expect more from Augusto Fernandez this year, and I just don't think he's had a good year up to this point. Not really. I completely I don't agree. Think he, and and yeah, we talked about Augusto Fernandez at the beginning of the season. We thought that you know he was going to be one of those championship hopefuls, and we haven't really seen that. We haven't seen that level, I don't think, consistently of Augusto Fernandez. Now, we know that as the season goes on, he seems to kind of come into his own towards the end of a season. Why that is, I'm not really sure, but um, it, you can't wait forever. You, you know, you've got you've to get on it. You've got to make sure that you start getting those points and getting, getting important points now because it's going to become too late. You don't want to be on the back foot towards the second half of the season. Um, but like you said, fourth place, that's not doom and gloom. You know, I don't want to... You know, put a nail in the coffin yet on his championship hopes, but I think he does need to turn it around. I agree. I, 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 you know, I don't think he's had a great year. I think it was a great ride for Marcel Schroeder up into fifth. Yeah, I mean, we yeah. had kind of written Marcel Schroeder off, and uh, as you know, maybe you should go to World Superbike, World Supersport. But right. Marcel said, "Hey, wait a minute, morons! Uh, I'm a really good motorcycle rider, and is it, he is." <laughs> Isn't he that normally is, how it always happens for us, though? We call somebody yeah, on, I mean, and then they turn around and yeah. they come back and get upset I mean, with. Chantra. We put the Chantra on him, too. That's what we did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I was kind of disappointed in Celestino Vietti. You know, he's had struggled the last couple of races. I think he was very lucky in Portugal, um, and he never really challenged for the podium here. I, I Although I will say Jerez seems to be a track. You either get it or you don't. It feels that way because some of those guys, they get it in every class. There's always someone that just gets it, and then other guys struggle. Uh, they were talking about Fagia struggled. He's never done well in Jerez. Right. Why? I don't know. They go every year. He knows the track. It, it, I believe once you decide you don't like something, it becomes a bit of a mental block, or maybe it just doesn't suit your style, and you try really hard, and you don't hate it, but you're like, man, you know, I just struggle here. So maybe the same for Celestino. I don't know. Um, but he did struggle. Yeah. Uh, points win championships, though. You know, you know, so at the end of the he day. He didn't throw it away. <laughs> yeah, he right. didn't throw it the scenery. You know, mature ride when him brought home what he could. But, um, you know, you mentioned something about, you know, you get into your head that you don't like something. 
You know what I don't like? I really don't like the fact that we can't give Cameron Bobier a good bike to ride throughout the weekend. I'm glad you said that because I didn't want to get on the soapbox, but I'm climbing up there now. How many times do you have to let your rider down as a team before you figure out how to attach a shifter to the transmission? Give me a break. You have to, they have to stop shooting this guy in the foot. Yeah. Give him a chance. The rain in Portimao, not your fault. I get it. But the gearbox issue in Coda, the shifter issue now, come on. Come on. No one else has this many mechanical issues. We had it when Joe Roberts was there. We're having it now. It's obviously a team problem. If they need me to come and run that thing, (laughs) I'll run it. I will run it with an iron fist. But my bikes will be ready and sorted every week. This is absolute garbage. I'm good. You're done. Yeah. I pouted. I'm pouting a little bit, but. It's okay. I understand. You're, you're, are you sitting there right now with your arms crossed, staring at the corner? No. I'm you looking are. off okay. into the distance. It's all right. I'm looking into the distance, you know, thousand yard stare. No, but you're 100% right. No, you're you're fine. No, no, we're both up on the soapbox together. And, you know, and and that's why, you know, Angie and I were watching the race this weekend and we saw, you know, Cameron Webby kind of check up, I think, going into turn three or coming out of turn three and, and he starts plummeting down the, down the uh, order. And, but he doesn't completely crash. You don't see a crash come up. You're like, what's going on? And then you see him at the back of the pack. What is it? You, you want to know. And then she actually called it. She's like, I guarantee there's something wrong with his bike again. And then sure enough, you know, came in and then she found a, found an article that said, you know, it was a gearbox issue. And I, I'm sorry that it's fix the bike. I blame John Hopper. But it's, it, <laughs> I blame Hopper. It's Hopper. That dude stuff follows him around. He's a gremlin. Is he like the is he the full size gremlin? He is a full size gremlin. I mean, he's a super gremlin. Let's trade out <laughs> Hopper. Can we trade out Hopper for Roger Hayden? You know, I I wouldn't mind that so much. I actually would like for uh, as far as a rider coach. You know, I I would actually like for the American racing team to reach into the European talent pool there. You know, I can't, I can't disagree with that because I mean, you know, Ken Hill, you know, great American motorcycle rider and racer and coach now, you know, he, his school is based around doing what the best in the world do. So if you want to do that, then why not grab the best, get, get the best in the world, you know, find and fill your own pipeline with somebody else, you know, someone else's talents, pull them over and start learning from them. Find somebody, find a Spanish writer that's mad at Spain, a former Spanish writer mad at Spain, and let's go. I I just feel like, you know, I know Hopper has some insight. But if, again, and I mentioned that I read his his autobiography, and I don't don't want him teaching anybody. So, yeah, and I mean, John John Hopkins got to a point, right? He, He was successful to a point. And the racers that he is coaching, he have he has gotten them successful to a point, you know, in certain in certain instances. On the world level, I'd say, Joe Roberts left the American racing team, and now he's a race winner. Cameron Bobier is knocking on the door of a win, but he can't because his, he can't get a good his bike. His team opener. can't. Yeah, his team. He's not. He doesn't have a reliable machine underneath of him. 
So at, at what point do you then take an inward look at your, at your organization and then realize that what you're doing possibly isn't working or there are some things, you have some pitfalls with that and yeah. then try to source better talent? Well, yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's give our talent a chance though. Oh, no, I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about rider talent. I'm talking about your oh. team talent. You're, you know, organizationally yeah, yeah. as a whole, right. you know, you're not going to put Valentino Rossi with a group of mechanics that are, you know, from podunk town that's never, you know, just kind of cobbled stuff together with duct tape. Right. Right. That's right. Well, I mean, at least he didn't pull a Jake Dixon. You know, and crash. Well, I don't know. I, I mean, I don't know where you're really going with that because Jake Dixon is a model of consistency. I mean, he crashes every week. Right. But <laughs> well, at this point, at this point, we've had seven races and Cam's had two mechanicals. Sean Dillon Kelly has had more than one mechanical as well. Right. This is a team issue. Fix it. You're embarrassing us on the world stage. Yeah, I'm talking to you, owner of American Racing. Dropping if bombs you need, tonight. Yeah, if you need some help, reach out. I got you. But I, I just get frustrated. I do get frustrated. I realize everybody's trying as hard as they can, and I, you know, I don't want to minimize that. But I don't care how hard you're trying. This is the this is the highest level. Yeah, you shouldn't. It just doesn't be, matter. We, we tried hard. Doesn't cut there. Yeah, we shouldn't That's just right. be happy to be there. We, you know, you're there for a, you're a, you're on a mission, and and you've got a goal, you've got a job to do, yeah. and you you've you need to figure out how to achieve that yeah. goal. USA, USA. Okay, all right. Let's get on. Uh, you know, I mentioned Jake Dixon crashing out. Uh, Some cat Chantra crashes again. Uh, Sam Lowe's crashed. Fermin Aldeguer crashed. I'll tell you what, I really think. For me now, Degure is going to be something special. Um, I just I, I I'm holding judgment, but every time that guy that kid's racing, I'm watching him. I find myself looking, where is he? Yeah. I really do. And and we're gonna figure it out. I he has crashed a good bit this year. Some of it his fault, some of it not. But it's his first full year in the Moto Two class. I'm not ready to write him off. Um, well, no, he cried. You know, I, Jake Dixon's the one that took him out of this race. Oh, I, that's what I'm saying. He's crashed a lot. It's not always his fault. Um, but and the other race, you know, was with Chelsea Vietti. So, right. you know, thanks, Jake, for doing that. Um, you know, Fermin's probably feeling like, what did what did I do? Same as Cam Bobier. Uh, but I think I think he's going to be great. If we can get a bike under Cam, I think he could really give us some excitement. Joe won the race in Portugal. He's a race winner. Yes. Do you expect Joe to win on a race, normal race? I, no, I, I really don't. I hate to say that, you know, but I do think that Cambobier's got more of a chance as far as taking the fight right. to the front um, actively during a dry race weekend. I agree. But, you know, what he you He was showing about, it in Portimao. Yeah, I, no, absolutely. I, you know, I think that even a few people on the grid were talking about, you know, that was probably Cam's race to win. Um, had the weather not changed like it did, but um, yeah, you know, as far as Fermin Aldegar goes, I, I had the thought this weekend after watching Jake Dixon, um, just muppet straight into him was, <laughs> I think that he is my word. <laughs> I had to, I had to borrow it for the night. Um, <laughs> I think what you know, Fermin Aldegar is very young. He's the youngest guy on the grid, um, in Moto Two. 
I think that what's happening to him right now is only going to make him stronger. It, you know, he's he came in with a ton of speed, looked amazing. Is having is getting so much attention from, you know, even MotoGP um, attention now, and with his man, you know, getting manager talks. Yeah. Uh, for 2024 yeah. already, you know, this is, and now he's had some race crashes. You know what I mean? So he's really seeing a lot of polarizing effects right now of Moto2. And I think that's going to work to make him stronger. I, if he can if he right. can battle through this, you know, it's not lulling up and down. You know, he's getting very violent upswings and downturns in yeah, results well, for him. You know, and that's that can really right. shake you and really kind of addle you. But this is really going to make him grow up fast in, I think in this so. class. You, you are now learning what the top level of racing really is. Like what, how, how fine the line is. And it's not going to be that you can go out and ride 80% and run away with it. You've got to be on that razor's edge and you've got to learn to manage that. And yeah. because that's, that's what the great ones do. My thought is he will. Let's see. Um, right now, to me, he's running better than Pedro Acosta. And I think so. Yeah. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, let's move to MotoGP unless you've got something else for Moto2. No, that sounds good. All right. Well, what I've been saying is coming all year long. Finally arrived. Francesco Bagnaia wins the race. Fabio Quartararo finishes second. And Aleish Aspargaro finishes third. Francesco ran... A great race. First of all, taking pole position by smashing the all-time lap record by half a second almost. Um, then with the shoulder, with this track being so thought of as Fabio Quartararo's domain, like mm -hmm. he's so good here. Mm -hmm. I mean, he just really, I, I thought he would do very well to finish second, but he went out led the race from bell to bell from start to finish and really just put in an unbelievable ride with the shoulder that he couldn't even lift his arm above his head. And, uh, wow. Wow. So, you know, I, all credit to Francesco for such a great race. Uh, Fabio was coming at the end, but it doesn't matter how much you win by, you just want to win. Right. Um, uh, and, you know, with two weeks more rest and physiotherapy on his shoulder, I expect him to be strong again in the next in the next round. Well, you know, that's a good point, too, though, is not just so much the shoulder. But, um, you know, it was it was mentioned a couple times that over the course of the weekend that once you get a bike that works around Jerez, that bike, you can take essentially take that bike to many other tracks in right. Europe and it works well. So I think this right. is this should be scary you know, for the Yamaha team and for Fabio, because I think that I'd also read that um, Fabio made a comment that it, it's not possible to go. It wasn't possible to go any faster. And you all, we already know that Fabio is overriding the Yamaha. He is miles ahead of the next Yamaha. Um, so again, you know, is Yamaha falling into the trap that they are building the bike around Fabio's strengths? Oh, you mean like HRC did to Mark Marquez? Yes, 100%. The answer is 100% yes. Now, 
Now, with that said, I don't want to take anything away from from Francesco Bagnai because we both know no. that this was what that was we've an amazing ride. Yeah, yeah, this is what we've been expecting from him all season. It's finally here. The surprise I, I, to me. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, what I was going to say is, I think you said a great thing about Jerez, and that they do say that if your bike works well at Jerez, it's going to work well most of the rest of the calendar. Um, you'll have a great base setup, and you'll tweak some things, but you'll have a great place to start for the rest of the year. And what we found is that Ducati did not find that for Francesco until about maybe eight races left last year. They found it much earlier this year. Yeah. And if this is an indicator, Francesco could really, really be taking it to Fabio every week. And Fabio cannot afford to be off the podium because... If he's fighting for sevenths and eights, that lead will not last very long. Right, right. Uh, and, and so you're 100% right. I, I think this was a a signal flare to the rest of the field that the Ducatis have kind of gotten it figured out with the 22s now. I think the big unknown Watch on out. the calendar is going to be the Kimi ring um, in Finland. Well, everybody, but, nobody knows, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, you know. Obviously, the the track layout kind of lends itself a little bit better, probably to a Yamaha or Suzuki. But um, but like you say, you know, nobody knows till we get there, and you know, Ducati could run away with it. Who knows? Um, but uh, no, I I certainly think that you know, agree the same. There is Fabio can't afford to kind of have a lull in Europe, almost like he did last year towards the end of the uh, end of the season. Yeah, he can't. He can't do that. Absolutely not. Um, but I think, I, I, I just really think this is a, this is a warning to the rest of the paddock. Fabio's going to have to ride out of his skin the rest of the year to hold on to this world championship. That's what I think. Yeah. Um, because we saw it in Port Port Francesco got the bike figured out well enough to finish, come from the back of the grid to finish sixth. And I thought right then I thought, okay, they're going to be fine. Because that's an amazing ride. You know, we kind of got lost in it because Renz did an unbelievable job as well. Yeah. But mm-hmm. but Fabio's shoulder had to have been excruciatingly painful. Oh, and absolutely. you know that yeah. as a he, he probably has a sprained AC joint, just like you and me. And and he was out there riding like crazy. Right. So yeah, I mean it was it was an unbelievable ride. But I was impressed by the by the ride that uh, ride that Alicia Spargo had. To be honest with you, I was uh, too. I I really was. He was so much faster than uh, Marquez and Miller, but he just couldn't get by him. Right. Um, they both was, seemed uh, much stronger on the brakes, and then you know it well, took a, it really took a mistake for for Alicia to be able to get by. And that should be another warning for somebody like Fabio, yeah. because because if if Francesco's healthy. I don't think Fabio closes the gap like he did. I don't think so. But at the same time, Aleish was, you know, 10 seconds behind him, but he thought he could go with them. So it remains to be seen, but, you know, let's see what happens. I am surprised that Aleish is riding as well as he is. I, you know, and I'm not even, I have to eat some words because I didn't think he could do it. But now they've lost concession. Yes. Let's see what that means because we saw what that meant for KTM the next year. Let's see what that means. They only have six engines instead of nine, no unlimited testing. I know Elish would rather that, but that means less development on the bike. Yeah. Well, and you know, so 
you know that I'm not the biggest Alicia Spargo fan. I'm not the biggest general Spargo fan. But, you know, Alicia, I think right now is kind of the difference on that, uh, on the Aprilia, I think, because the other Aprilia in Maverick Vinales was once again struggling to get a point. So he, listen, the, the bike is good. We know the right? bike is good. Alicia's yep. putting it up there. Put Joan Mir on that bike. Okay. Which, by the way, we had big news coming out of yeah. Suzuki. They are trying to leave the championship at the end of the year because they didn't finish well in her res and all their hierarchy was there. So they threw a tantrum and said they're leaving MotoGP. Well, that's terrible for MotoGP. Yeah. I think. Honestly, honestly, this really is bad. I mean, it was shocking news to me when I saw the article um, and, and saw that it, you know, wasn't just clickbait. It wasn't just a, uh, you know, a farce, and that this is something that's actually being talked about. You've got two riders right now that that are descent, that could be fighting for the world championship. You do have a, a a world champion in one of your riders as well, and you know, Alex Rins had a bad day. He had a bad weekend all around, but he still didn't throw it to the scenery like he would have last year. So to me, that's still progress. It's not not great for Alex Renz, but it's progress comparative to last year. Um, it really is. But but to know to throw a tantrum, you've only got. And they were just talking about putting a satellite team on the grid next year too. So or, or in the future, excuse me. So to be able to or to to then turn tail and say nope, we're done. We're quitting. We're taking our ball and we're going to go home. Well, I I think a little bit of this, they did a ton of development on the bike. They spent a ton of money. It is a much better bike. And they haven't really won yet. They haven't really been dominating. But it takes time. And even though your bike is really good, and we think it's going to be strong in Europe. I mean, if they don't win a race this year and Mir doesn't get on the podium four or five times like he should then, yeah, it's a disappointment. But why was that? That's, I get that the money is huge, but I just don't understand. I don't understand why you make that decision unless financially it's just killing your company. Well, so we'll just have to see. You, you, I mean, you, you understand that when, cha- when change occurs, there's a drop in performance. That's right. that's the expected curve, right? There's right. then a time gap that when you rise back to the the expected or the level that you were at, and then you begin to exceed. At that point, at this point, I do not think that Suzuki has allowed enough time for that curve to really happen and for the team to work back up. Because yeah, the bike might be great on paper, um, but you still have a human factor in Joanne Mir and. Alex Renz have to learn those changes and have to really master those changes and get comfortable back to the points that they were on the old bike. It's the same thing that, right. that goes on with Ducati. Ducati can over-engineer a bike all day long and make it the best thing since sliced bread when it comes to actually putting it on paper with aerodynamic numbers, with horsepower numbers, with you know G-forces, anything that's all measured in it. But when you actually go to put somebody on, it takes someone to put that power down to the ground efficiently to be able to turn the bike to be able to, to to do the things that these guys need to be able to do it takes a human touch and that's something you can't design in a lab i i agree with you i i, I don't know what suzuki's thought process is now we have not heard from suzuki through all of this right right i haven't seen right. anything so let's wait and see which uh was the official the official announcement was supposed to happen tuesday 
But Dorna kind of stuck their nose in since they have a, they're a contract with Suzuki until what twenty twenty six I think. Yep. So you know, I'm sure that there are a lot of closed door meetings going on back there um, with Dorna and Suzuki. You know, essentially because Dorna, I'm sure Dorna doesn't want to lose the you know the revenue that that and the attention and and the numbers on the grid. I think that's what's big to the re- to to you and me is you know we want to see bikes on the grid. And we don't want to see it turn into the European Ducati Championship. You know, I we don't. But I, at the same time, you know, Dorna's message that they had lots of other interests for factories. I don't know how much I believe that. I don't know. I I, I you think, think that was may, a to smooth it over with the PO was a PR attempt to kind of. I do. I, make there's a part of me that feels that way. Less. Yeah. I feel that way. I I don't know why you would limit the bike to tw- the grid to twenty five and have two god-awful bikes on there from Yamaha versus having another factory in there anyway, and maybe even getting up to 30, because you're running 30 with Moto2 yeah. and Moto3. So what's the what's the difference? Why would you limit the grid to 25? That's dumb. So I think it was a little bit of posturing. Um but we'll see. I mean, I, we'll see. I, I don't know. Um, I think we have to mention the ride from Mark Marquez because he did a great job. He saved me a huge save in the final corner there on his left side. Um, pulled it home for fourth. Uh, that's actually what happened, and that allowed Alicia Spargo to go through. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, a fourth place for Mark there was really good because he didn't really think he had any chance to do anything. He didn't have a chance to win. He was never close to that. But I'll credit to him, man. He 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 keeps fighting, but I he just keeps crashing. And it it I just every time I see that he crashes, I don't want to read anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um. So good on him for that fourth place. Jack Miller, top five. You know, um, he only got beat by factory bikes and his teammate. Uh, but I think a top five for Miller is really good here. I mean, he's had a couple of podiums. He's got a t- another top five. He's piling the points in there. Didn't he win last year at Jerez when Fabio had the arm pump? He, yep, he won at Jerez, and then he won at Le Mans. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, but, you know, he just didn't have – he was not as fast as Francesco, and he wasn't as fast as Aleish or Fabio today. He wasn't even close to Fabio or Alesh, really, because as soon as Alesh got by, he just bounced. Yeah. Um, but I want to give a shout-out to uh, Marco Bezecchi, the rookie finishing in ninth there. That's a big-time finish for the rookie. Um, I'll tell you what, when he keeps it up, he looks really good. He does. Uh, you know, and I'm glad you said that because he actually reminds you – know, and it's not just the hair, but he almost reminds me of uh, Marco Simoncelli. Um, Ooh, and the reason easy. being is he's fast. Man, is he yeah, fast, he is. but he throws he it to fast. the scenery a lot, you know? And, and he that's, does, but it's his first year. Right, he's, but he's, but, yeah. but you understand, you know, where I'm coming from with that that I comparison do. now, you know? That's kind of what Marco Simoncelli looked like. He was really, he really did. quick on the bike, had a had a very aggressive, you know, kind of race style to him. Um, really wasn't, you can't, just rode fearlessly, you know? And I think that, that Marco Bezzecchi really kind of is taken to this GP bike much in the same. I agree. Well, I mean, after this weekend, you know, Fabio's in the lead of the championship. He's got a seven-point lead over Aleish. Uh, 
Anaya Bastianini is in third. He's 20 points behind, tied with Alex Renz. Mm-hmm. Well, third and fourth. Uh, Anaya has more wins, so he's in third. Alex is in fourth. Uh, Francesco catapults himself up to fifth. Um, he is now 33 points behind uh, Fabio Quartaro. He's tied with Mir on points, but obviously he's got a win, so he's ahead of Mir. Um what do you see going forward, real quick? What do you got going forward? I mean, are you are you th- expecting to see uh, Francesco at the front of a lot of these races now? I am. I, I think that we're going to see Benyaya kind of work towards the front some more. I want to see a good, strong showing out of Rins in uh, in Le Mans. I think he should bounce back. But I'm really curious to see what happens with Aspargaro and uh, and Aprilia because you know Alesh is is fully convinced that he's got a bike that can fight for a title right now and. I mean, he's he might not be wrong. You know, he's seven points off the lead, like you just said. So, uh, I mean, it, well, it, he's got to prove it. He's got to yeah, prove it. He, he does. Yeah. So, I mean, and, and but you know, we haven't seen Alicia Sparger really throw it to the scenery at all this year, and he's he's being yeah. very consistent and riding really smart races, yep. and that's exactly what we saw Joanne Mir do in 2020, and he came home with a championship. So, sure you know, it could be possible. It could be possible. Be very possible. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I mean, that's pretty much what I've got for the past weekend. How about you? Yeah, man, I, I think so. That we, uh, I think we covered everything that we could really cover. That's awesome. Well, listen out there in podcast land. If you're riding this weekend like me, um, keep that shiny side up, that rubber side down. Uh, stay safe, and we all want to see everybody go home and uh, have and have fun, and then go home. That we all got to work on Monday. But uh, I'm Jason, aka Captain Novice, saying good night with my man Bo from the Boys in Parkton Turn One. Have a good one, guys.